account of um, Pentecost in the Book of Acts um, this morning. We are starting with his prequel, uh, Luke's first book, uh, what we call the Gospel. Um, and, and this is how it begins, right at the beginning of chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to, to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Luke was setting out um, his reasons for uh, writing this little book to Theophilus. Um, We're not exactly sure who Theophilus was. Uh, He was possibly a friend, uh, possibly a Roman official who was asking uh, questions, uh, or there's a chance he might just have been uh, fictitious. Um, His name means um, friend of God. Whoever he was, uh, this book is all about helping him to come to know and understand who Jesus was and the impact that his life was having on the known world. As I say, you'll have to wait for uh, Luke's sequel um, to unpack all that happened as a result of, of this. Uh, but for, the ne- uh, for now, for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus' life through the excellent investigative reporting skills of this doctor come biographer. Um, uh, Luke had travelled with, with Paul quite extensively, and we can be pretty confident that he gained these eyewitness accounts that he talks about from Jesus' followers and friends. But there's a, um, there's a closeness and an intimacy uh, in the stories in chapter 2 um, that we've been looking at today um, that I, I, I think can only have come from long evening conversations with Mary, the mother of Jesus. The stories of, of Jesus' birth, that special celebration in the temple that we've just read about, chapter again to Toby Ford, um, finishing it with the uh, panicked moments uh, of a mother searching for her lost child um, somewhere in the big city. Luke adds his own uh, little bit of commentary twice in the chapter, saying that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. It's very warm, it's very close, and it's rather beautiful. These uh, three stories have got three main characters um, and three declarations within them. Uh, the first, which we didn't uh, read, um, is the angel declaring that a saviour had been born. Uh, the second um, was uh, a prophet or two, actually, declaring that this saviour will be for all people. But it came with a warning that this saviour is going to cause division. There's going to be tension built in there. And the third was this saviour himself, in Jesus' first recorded words, making the shocking claim that God was his father. Simeon and Anna that we met, that, that we uh, that we just read about, are rather parallel characters. Both are uh, rather old, both are devout worshippers of God, and both were waiting, uh, waiting for God's salvation of Israel to come about in some way. They're also both prophets, a role that hadn't been seen in Israel for about 400 years at this point. Uh, another thing that I noticed for the first time when I was reading up on this was that neither of them were temple staff members in any way. Um, Simeon was told to go there at that time by the Holy Spirit, um, and Anna just spent her days worshipping there. So it must have been just a little bit odd for Mary and Joseph being approached by these two random strangers uh, prophesying about 
about the baby in her arms, starting to unpack the things that the shepherds had inevitably told them the angel had said. The radical piece of um, Simeon's prophecy is that this child would be the saviour, not just Israel, but for the Gentiles, the non Jews, uh, um, as well. They'd been waiting for the saviour of Israel.
So for you, how do you respond to this offer? How would you have responded to the angel's declaration that their saviour had entered the world? How would you react to these two ancient prophets who'd waited their whole lives to see Jesus and now couldn't stop telling others? How would you have responded to hearing Jesus explain to his mother that he was in his father's house, claiming a relationship that had not been uttered before and pointing to a relationship that we could all have? Maybe responding to Jesus' claims is something that you did a long time ago. But for me, Simeon and Anna, Simeon and Anna uh, present another challenge to the way that I live. Back in um, 2006, um, Leslie and I, the kids, um, lived in the States for three months. Uh, while we were there, we went to um, a somewhat huge church, membership of 10,000. First Baptist Orlando. Um, the uh, first Sunday we were there, uh, the minister was preaching on priorities. And one of the things that he said has uh, kind of stuck with the whole family ever since. Uh, so much so it became a sort of, sort of slogan amongst us for a while. He said, when we think about our priorities in life, we like to think that as a good believer, uh, we put Jesus at the top of the list. You know, Jesus, then family, then work. But that's not how God wants us to prioritise. Jesus shouldn't be anywhere on a list, not even at the top of a list. Jesus is the list. Everything we do or say or think or uh, or think flows out of Jesus being our one and only priority. Jesus is the list. For Simeon, once he'd seen Jesus, life was complete. He was happy to depart this life. Uh, Rather wonderfully, the first thing he'd see after departing this life would be that face of Jesus again. For Anna, her whole focus for, we don't know how many years, had been worshipping God. So for her, at this rather marvellous age, to meet her God in human form, albeit a rather tiny human form, would from that moment be the thing that she spoke about to anyone who would listen. Jesus wasn't on the list. He wasn't top of the list. He was the list. Jesus shapes every aspect of our lives and the way we live them. He's the lens that we view life and situations, troubles and joys through. The same is true for um, us as a church. This is how C.S. Lewis puts it. This is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. It's so easy to get muddled about that. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Education, building, missions, holding services. Just as it is easy to think that the state has a lot of different objects. Military, political, economic and whatnot. In a way, things are much simpler than that. The state simply exists to promote and to protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire, a couple of friends having a game of darts in the pub, a man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. This is what the state is there for. And unless they are helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc. are simply a waste of time. In the same way, 
church exists for nothing else but to draw people into, into Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Sorry, not C.S. Lewis. Had to have a quote in there. God became man for no other purpose. For us as individuals who believe in Jesus and for us as a church, we really only have one purpose, to draw people, including ourselves, closer to Jesus. To discover more of him each day and to help others discover Jesus together with us. It's where we started this morning. That's the reason Luke took the trouble to write to his friend Theophilus, so he could be sure of the things he'd heard about Jesus. Not for the sake of um, historical accuracy, but that he might know Jesus himself. So that's the uh, why don't you idea for this week. Um, It's being Luke. Why don't you have a go at giving this accurate account your dealings with Jesus too. Uh, one of the most powerful things in faith conversations um, is our own story of encountering Jesus. Uh, maybe there might be an opportunity on the phone at the end of a Zoom call or over the fence with a neighbour to speak of your relationship with Jesus. I've had a, a couple of uh, tries at this this, this week. Um, uh, uh, one was a bit crash and burn, but um, as you know, I've just noticed we're seeing more of our neighbours over the golden um, hedges uh, and we've done uh, since since we've been here um, so uh, yes I, I was just starting in with these faith conversations and who Jesus means this week with, um, with, with both sides um, one side is uh, the that we've just come out of, of, um, of Ramadan time uh, uh, and uh, I think it's the other side as well so a good way about this is firstly uh, write down some of the reasons why you believe in Jesus how you met him or how you've experienced him since that time. And then secondly, pray and ask God to give you an opportunity to share one of these somehow this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these um, uh, these wonderful tales. Thank you that um, uh, Luke took all that time to do the, um, the whole work of research and to articulate them uh, so well. Thank you particularly for these stories this, this morning of you, Lord, when you're a little baby here on this earth. Look over there, thank you too, for just the, uh, the witness of um, uh, Simeon and Anna that we've been reading about this morning uh, and that sense of um, uh, just wholehearted focus in purpose, uh, putting you right at the centre of, of, of everything. Lord, I pray that you would give that to me. That, that that sense of, of uh, uh, not putting you on a list but 